Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the North Point Community Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free North Point app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at North Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So my uh, undergrad, I went to the University of Georgia, where I did my undergrad uh, in finance. And um, at the University of Georgia, there's this uh, complex at East Campus. It's called the Ramsey Center. It's where um, all of the non-athlete people, I know I wasn't on scholarship, but it's shocking. But that's where we would go to do all of our athletics. I mean, they had like, a, that's where the indoor basketball courts were, a lap pool, indoor soccer courts, uh, racquetball, probably pickleball at this point. Um, and it's also where the gym was, you know, where there's like weights and stuff. And um, so I was so excited my freshman year because I was like, man, I'm going to work out like my freshman, my freshman 15 is going to be all muscle, baby. I was ready. <clears throat> Clearly never, ever happened. Um, but um, I was, I was ready. So I'll never forget the first time walking to the Ramsey Center, I, I scanned my ID and I'm like walking and I'm so excited. And I get like my towel because that's what everyone else did. And I took my towel and I walked in and I was like taken aback, like not in a, not in a good way. I mean, I, you got to understand, I played soccer my whole life. I never learned how to work out ever. Okay. We didn't really work out. We just, we ran a lot. You know what I mean? And so I'm walking in, I'm seeing, you know, machines that I've never seen before. And I don't even know how to use them. And I didn't even know existed. And then I'm staring at all these people that look like they belong in a gym. And I did not look like I did. And so I, you know, they're like, they're bench pressing. They're making noises as they like, whoa, you know, like, it's like the Hulk is here. And they're bench pressing three times my weight. And they're like, oh, oh, can I jump in and get a rep? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I can't jump in and do any of that. I take all the weights off. So it's just, it was weird. I didn't know what to do. I was by myself. I, I didn't, so I did what any of us would have done. I dropped my towel on the little bin and I walked out. I was done. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Well, you've experienced this. That even when there's something that you know you should do, something that's beneficial, something that's helpful for your, you or, or your health, when you don't know how to do that thing, it is a deterrent from starting. It's a deterrent from practicing. And the same can be true for our spiritual disciplines. In fact, right, we joke around about working out, but you can experience this in every area of life. I mean, this is one of the reasons why. This is one of the reasons why. I love going to Burn Boot Camp. That's where I work out. Shout out to Burn Marietta. Because there's an instructor there that tells me what to do. And while I hate them in the moment, I love them after. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to think about it. Because there's no deterrent on what to do or how to do it. I just do it. So we kicked off a new series last week called Make room, the spiritual life for ordinary people, where we are wrestling with the idea of what it looks like to make room to experience more of God in our lives. And we said this last week, just by way of review, that God, God will fill whatever space we make for him in our lives. 
that whatever space we make, he will meet us. We said that the spiritual life, the spiritual life is for ordinary people, that it's not reserved um, for people that seem to be mature and, and have all the faith stuff going for them. The spiritual life is not about these mountaintop moments that feel like these emotional highs. The spiritual life is us inviting God into the everyday moments of life. The spiritual life is inviting God into the seemingly mundane moments of parenting and marriage and work and college, your life. And the way that we experience, and this is kind of where this series, what we've been setting up, right? The way that we experience more of God in our everyday moments of life is through what the church has called for centuries, the spiritual disciplines. Or we said they could be called spiritual habits, or a lot of people in the evangelical circles today are calling them spiritual practices. Now, you know this. The key to growing in any area of your life, again, just by way, by way of review, is putting into practice the right disciplines that make room and set the right conditions for you to progress. That's what disciplines do. They facilitate progress in your life and in Mine. And here's kind of just a very standard definition of a, dis- of a discipline that we looked at last week. A discipline is any activity that I can do that will enable me to eventually do what I cannot currently do. A discipline is any activity that I can do by my own will power that will enable me, that will give me the power to do that which I cannot currently do. And spiritual disciplines are no different. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines make room for us to experience more of God's transforming power in our lives. Spiritual disciplines, they make room for us to experience more of God's transforming power so that, and the so that is really important. We spent all week setting it up last week, so that we can live life and love others as Jesus modeled and taught. That the spiritual disciplines make, they're not the, they're not the end. They're a means to an end. And the end is to live life and love others as Jesus modeled and taught. The end is that the fruit of the spirit, patience and peace and joy and self-control and kindness and love, that they would begin to flourish and take root and be exhibited in our lives. But you know this, that doesn't just happen naturally. And I told you all this last week. I know I caught a lot of you guys off guard. I'm not naturally like Jesus. I'm naturally like me. I'm not naturally like Jesus. You're not naturally like Jesus. No, no, no. It takes work. And our job is to make room for God to transform us. So we implement spiritual disciplines, habits, practices into our lives to make room for God to do in us what we couldn't do beforehand, to transform us into who we aren't naturally like, to like, to live life, and to love others as Jesus modeled and taught. So it's why the Apostle Paul wrote, and this is where I wanna get into um, this morning, why the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 4, verse seven. He said, so train yourself to be godly. Like not just like will it and just like hope it gets there. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to live like Jesus. In other words, put into practice spiritual disciplines that will make room for God to transform your life. The way that you train to be godly is you implement these spiritual practices. And he goes on. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And he's not saying like don't, work out, you know, and, and for the sake of a quiet time. That's not what he's saying. Physical training has some value, he's saying, but what he's doing is for comparison's sake, showing us how valuable training to be like Jesus 
is that while physical value has some, physical training has some value in your life, certainly, the pursuit of putting into your life the spiritual disciplines and practices that will enable you to look and live and love more like Jesus has value in all things. There is not an area of your life, a relationship in your life, a way of thinking. There isn't any area of your life where the pursuit of looking and living and loving more like Jesus won't add value to. And I love that he says this, that um, there's value in the present life and the life to come. That following Jesus in faith isn't just a heaven thing. There is work and a life to experience in the here and now. So how do we train? How do we make room? That's what I want to spend the next few minutes unpacking together, talking about some of these disciplines. Um, Dallas Willard broke the disciplines up into these two major categories. Dallas Willard is a, a, a well-known author and former pastor and theologian. Um, he's since passed, but he wrote this book on the disciplines. And I found this so helpful as a framework. He broke the disciplines up into two categories, disciplines of engagement, practices or habits of engagement, and disciplines of abstinence, okay? Disciplines of engagement, um, they involve you intentionally doing something. Okay. So here's the idea that if your struggle or if my struggle or if your sin or if my sin is a failure to do what I should be doing, if my struggle is not doing what I should be doing, if my failure is failing to love and defer to my spouse, if my failure is failing to be generous to those in need, then pick up a discipline of engagement that exercises my doing muscle. Now, a discipline of abstinence is, involves not doing something. So the idea, if my failure or my struggle or, or, or my sin is a lack of self-control, in other words, um, that I'm really good at doing what I shouldn't do, then pick up a discipline of abstinence that exercises my not doing muscle. So if I struggle with having a lack of self-control, overindulging, a lack of self-control in the area of finances or even sexual purity, whatever that is for you, then a discipline of abstinence helps exercise your not doing muscle. So we're going to jump into some of these real quick, but a couple of disclaimers. One, um, we're going to look at three disciplines in each category, okay? But, but three disclaimers. One, um, there are more disciplines that we're going to have time to cover today. And, and um, we're not going to be able to talk about them uh, in depth today. I kind of want to set the table and then let you dig in later, okay? We don't have enough time to go into crazy, crazy depth about each one. You could do a series on each one. Disclaimer number two, I'm not an expert in these disciplines just because I'm teaching them, okay? I am trying to figure these out, and I'm a beginner in them just like you are. And then three, the goal. I'm giving you six, but here's the goal. The goal that today you'd walk away with one or two practices or habits, no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith or on your spiritual journey, that you would be able to take one or two of these disciplines and begin to implement them in your life. Because here's my hope, is that the spiritual disciplines, um, you wouldn't be deterred because you don't know how to do them. Instead, that you'd leave here today and they'd be actionable, applicable, and accessible for everybody, no matter who you are or where you are or are not on your spiritual journey. So with that, we're going to jump in and talk about some of these disciplines that make room. Okay. And first we're going to look at disciplines of engagement. Okay. The things that exercise our doing muscles. And we're going to look at three for a few minutes, the studying of the scriptures, prayer, and giving. Okay. A word on each one. First, the studying of the scriptures. Okay. The goal of reading your Bible. And I, it, let me just do this. This whole morning, you might start to feel guilty about some of the things that you don't do. Don't, don't feel guilty, okay? That's not, that's not the point of this. We're all beginners. The goal of reading your Bible is not for information. 
The goal of reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures is transformation. But you know this, whatever enters into your mind regularly enough will shape who you become. The goal is not just to memorize the Bible to know the Bible. The goal is that it might transform your thinking and ultimately transform who you are. As you regularly engage with the scriptures, that's what's going to happen. It's not just for knowledge's sake. It's to fill your heart and your minds about truth that combat lies that we believe about ourselves, about the world, about others, and about God. In fact, Jesus, when in, in the Gospels, okay, when he's um, in the wilderness and for the desert for 40 days and he's fasting and Satan is tempting him, what does he respond with? He responds with the scriptures, okay? So the idea is to cleanse our mind of wrong thinking, unhelpful thinking, impure thinking, and unloving thinking. It's what the Apostle Paul says is the renewing of your mind, which leads to a transformed life. But the idea of studying the scriptures is a very intimidating prospect. There's a lot. How do I get through all of it? What do I do? How do I do it? I get all that. Let me take some of the pressure off. Studying the scripture is more about quality than quantity. The goal isn't to get through it all, okay? The goal is to get it over time through and in us, through our minds and into our hearts. So, If it means going one verse at a time, if it means dwelling on a story, dwelling on one parable at a time, take your time. If you're an audio person and you like audio books, listen to the Bible. That's great. Your Bible app, if you press play at the bottom of any chapter, it'll play it. And just like Waze, you can pick the voice. It's amazing. Okay. So whoever you want you to read the Bible, we'll we'll read it to you. And as you're studying, where do I start? Pick a, pick, a, pick a gospel, pick, pick a book, maybe act, something that, that inspires, that you're interested in. But as you're reading it, as you're reading it, take your time. And, and, and nobody knows everything, by the way, about it. So I don't care who tells you, like, we all have questions, okay, trying to figure out what this means and what that means. But here's where I want you to start. What is it saying and how can I apply it? What is it saying and how can I apply it? What, what is it saying and, and how does this change my view of God? How does this impact the way that I handle my finances? How does this impact the way that I handle my relationships? How does this impact the way that I talk to people? How does this change the way that I think? What is it saying and how can I apply it? Start there. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, what you'll be able to take in and consume is going to blow your mind. And you got to set yourself up for success. And you will not set yourself up for success in studying the scriptures without this. You've got to have a time, a place, and a plan. I'm telling you, this is so important. If you don't have a time, a place, and a plan, it's never going to get started and it's not going to have any longevity. I want you to find a time. Like we're, we're rhythmic and habitual beings. We need a rhythm. So start with the rhythm. What time works for you? Is it in the morning? Is it, uh, you know, maybe you get to work a little bit early? Is it after the kids go down? Like I, what time works for you? And then find your place. Is it the same spot in your living room, that comfortable chair, that spot at the kitchen table or the island? Maybe you're in a season of life where you can hit a coffee shop on your way to work or maybe on your way to class. Like what place is it for you? And then have a plan. Don't just open it up and be like, I wonder what it's going to say to me today. That's not going to work for anybody. It doesn't even work for me. I mean, you got to have a plan. So what book do you want to read, right? I'm, like I mentioned earlier, start with the gospel. Find a devotional that you want to follow. The Bible app has dozens and hundreds and thousands of devotionals that you can follow. It'll tell you what to read that day and you can mark it off and keep on going. So I want you to a time, a place, and a plan and begin to engage with truth that will begin to transform your life um, for 
the better, okay? Second discipline of engagement, prayer, prayer. This one might be the one that makes us feel the most guilty for whatever reason. We just, we never do this enough, right? Um, But prayer is when we simply talk to God. It's when we simply take a moment, moments to listen to God. It's when we are honest with God. It's creating space to have him speak to our hearts. It's when we can align our souls with our heavenly father. Now, it's kind of an intimidating prospect. It's like, well, how do I pray? What should I pray for? I don't really, like, I don't really, and even the idea of sitting down, it's like, I don't know what to pray for. You kind of sit there and you're just like, you got, you got anything? You know what I mean? Like, where do we, how do we even start? Okay, just, it doesn't have to be weird. Let me give you a great starting point. It's what Richard Foster, who wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, he calls it simple prayer. Start with simple prayer. And here's what simple prayer is. This is so helpful. It is when we bring ourselves to God exactly as we are. That when we go to pray, we're not trying to impress God. It's, it, it's not like that meet the parents scene. You know what I'm talking about? Where Greg is trying to impress that family with the prayer. It's not a meet the parents prayer moment. Simple prayer is when you're not trying to impress God. You're not trying to use beautiful language. You're not even trying to separate the good and the bad that's in your heart. You ever had those moments where like you're feeling something, but you try to pray about something else because you think you should pray about something else. Simple prayer is what C.S. Lewis said. Pray what is in you, not what ought to be in you. It is when you come to God with anything and everything that is in your heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And many have wrote that nothing will kill your prayer life faster than pretending to be better than you are. And nothing will kill your prayer life faster than pretending to care about something that you don't really care about in the moment. So simple prayers, all right, Lord, there's probably a lot of other things that I could and should be praying for, but I'm just gonna bring to you what I've got in my heart and in my mind. Here's a really helpful exercise to even get you there. This is something that I like to do before I have kind of my quiet time, before I read the Bible or pray. I try to answer these three questions, okay? Um, This is something I do. I do it kind of in my journal, and it's really quick, okay? I answer these three questions. It kind of helps get my head and my heart right before I head into my time with the Lord. I ask, how am I feeling? I'll get a feelings wheel out and I'm, I'm, all, like, I'm, I'm all into it. I try to figure exactly how I'm feeling, okay? We would all do better to pay attention to how we're feeling. And I literally, I'll write it down. It's just me, a cup of coffee, and I'll just, I'll write it down. Sometimes if my kid, psycho, wakes up too early, he's just sitting right there watching me do this, okay? And so, how am I feeling? I write it down, just a couple of words. And then, I, is there anything I'm afraid of or anxious about? I just, I'm just honest. It's just me. I just, I write it down. And then, what are three things I'm grateful for? And I write down three things that I'm grateful for. And then you can take these answers directly to God in prayer. That's simple prayer. Tell him how you're feeling. What's going on? What's struggling? What's bad? What's good? Whatever. What's up? Um, What are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? Talk to God about it. Ask him to help you. Ask for clarity. And then tell him the three things that you're grateful for and thank him for the gifts that he's given you in your life. And I'm just telling you, telling you, as you practice simple prayer, here's what's going to happen your interests that you pray about will grow as your picture of God's heart and character does. So start. Pray what is in you, not what ought to be in you. Just like Bible, maybe time and a place and simple prayer. Okay, the third, the third um, discipline of engagement, giving. 
giving, okay? There is a reason. There is a reason that Jesus in the Gospels talks about money and possessions more than any other topic. If you don't believe me, go count it up. Save you a lot more time just to believe me, okay? And the reason that he did, you know this. Come on, you know this. And this is why it's a bit sensitive, and I get this. There are not many things, maybe nothing, that threaten to steal and grab the affections of our heart more than the love of money and stuff. It's why Jesus said you can't serve two masters, both God and money. It doesn't mean money is bad. It doesn't mean you should try to earn it. It just means that that when it is Lord over your life, that means Jesus isn't fully Lord over your life. And so what was Jesus's point in that whole, that whole kind of moment in the gospels where he says, hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Here's the point that he's getting at is that God doesn't need your stuff or your money, but he wants your heart. God doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. And practicing the discipline of giving, even when you don't want to, it will begin to free you up from the tyranny of stuff and money. So two, two ways, it's not the only two ways, two ways to begin to practice, to put into practice the discipline of giving. And one is percentage giving. Premeditated, planned percentage giving. Where you pick a percentage, whatever percent, the the percent isn't important at this point. The important thing is just to start and you pick a percentage and you say, you know what? Every month, this is the percentage of my income that I'm going to give, or this is the amount that I've set that I'm going to give every month. God, look, this, this is my way of practicing. This is not mine. Every good gift comes from you. And I'm just a steward of what you've given me on this side of heaven. I'm not gonna let what will one day fade away rule over my heart. Even if I don't feel like it, God, even though I'm running a list of all the other things I could buy with this, I'm going to develop the discipline of giving you my first and not letting money have a grip over my heart. And I hope, I hope that if you call this place home, you would find all that we're doing here worthy of a cause to give your percentage giving to. But even if it's not here, I don't care. Whatever church that ends up being, develop this discipline. Another way to practice giving is charity. Now this word is kind of weird in our world today, um, but the early church, man, they, they took charity to a whole new level. They were known for and defined by their charity of giving to those who had need. And the reason the early church did this is because the way of Jesus required it. And, and look, there are so many organizations that you can donate to, especially our stuff. Come on, we live in such excess in the Western world. We're blind to how much excess because we're constantly comparing ourselves to everybody else that has more than us, but we live in so much excess. There's so many things in our closet, in our garage, in our storage, in our attic that are just gaining dust. It either stays there or we throw it out. You could donate it. Come on, practice charity. Um, practice the art or practice the discipline of when you hear somebody that has a need, do something to fill it. Come on. Even if you don't get a tax receipt for it. If you see a need, come on, this one made the early church so special. There was a need. They, they, they met it. They shared all things in common. And I'm just telling you, okay? If you begin to practice the discipline of giving, charity, percentage giving, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm just telling you, you're, you're called to do both. But when you begin to practice this, here's what's going to happen. Just telling you, here's what's going to happen. 
You are going to develop a greater awareness of God's work in the world and the needs of people and how you can play a purpose in it. As you practice this discipline, I'm just telling you, it's gonna free you from the tyranny of stuff, from the rat race of humanity that says just earn as much as you can. It's gonna free you from the tyranny that your worth is in the zeros in your bank account. Research, I'm just telling you, this isn't even Bible. Research shows generous people are happier people. And practicing this discipline will keep your heart in check. And in a very real and literal way, practicing giving allows us to model what Jesus did when he gave everything for the sake of the world. So those are three disciplines of engagement that you can begin to wrestle with and begin to practice. Now I want to jump into the disciplines of abstinence, the things where you exercise, you're not doing muscles. Now, um, I, I didn't necessarily grow up in church, but eventually once I got into church, like I heard a lot about the disciplines of engagement, reading the Bible and, and prayer and giving, and those are really important, okay? Um, but I did not hear much about the disciplines of abstinence. And ju- just for you guys to know, this is where I've been really leaning in personally. This is where I've been learning a new side of my faith that I did not know existed. And I'm so excited to jump into these three disciplines, okay? This is where I think is gonna be some of the newness for some of us. So the three disciplines of abstinence, exercising you're not doing muscles um, are these, silence and solitude, Sabbath and fasting, okay? Yeah, I know, hang on, hope you had breakfast today. Um, I'm just kidding. So I'm going to talk about these three really quickly. The first one, silence and solitude. Life is crazy, nonstop. The world is noisy. Life is noisy. Your phone never stops notifying you of stuff. Your brain never slows down. There's always something to do. People need you. Your kids never stop talking. And it's like you, you have this low hum of anxiety that just lies beneath the surface that we live with all day long. Insert one of the most life-giving practices you will ever try. Silence and solitude. Jesus modeled this in the gospels over and over and over again. Solitude. Getting away for a few moments from other human beings in silence, turning off the noise external and internal. Turning off the noise externally, like the literal noise that you hear, that is usually as simple as like putting your phone somewhere where you can't hear it vibrate. That's usually all it takes. But it's making sure all the TVs are off, right? It's those moments early in the morning or those moments late at night when you're at the kitchen and and there's no sound happening other than maybe the humming of one of your light bulbs, that kind of silence. But then also turning off the internal noise, the internal noise, the racing of our minds, the negative self-talk, the imaginary conversations that we've had throughout the day with our spouse or with our boss or with our neighbor, you know? the replaying of scenarios that we wish we could have back, the list of to-dos, the worrying, the thinking, the lusting, the dreaming of all that you don't have, wishing that you do have, quieting that internal noise and finding a quiet place to allow your soul to be still with God. This quiet place, it's almost soothing just to say it. 
And when we do this, this is one of my favorite things that I practice in the morning. Again, I mentioned to you, you've got kids. I get it. I've got three, okay? Five, three and a half, and one and a half. I've got to get up early to do this, but it is so life-giving. But here, if you were to practice this, it's going to be uncomfortable at first because the, night, the white noise of the world that we live in is oddly comforting. I should tell you something about the human condition. It's why elevator music is so necessary. Do you know what I'm saying? It's why on that first date, you were so nervous about what? Awkward silences. But you know this. A sign of true intimacy and comfort in a relationship is whenever you can be silent with no pressure to say or perform with them and you are totally comfortable with each other. The same can be true with you and your heavenly father. I'm just telling you, in these moments, in these moments, whether it's whatever you can find, 10, 15, half an hour, whatever you can find, in these moments, you're not trying to be anybody. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to accomplish anything. You're not trying to prove anything. You are allowing yourself as a human being to sit and to be. In these moments, it's, only, it's, it's typically the only few moments of the day I can actually feel myself breathing, aware that I am breathing. In fact, um, one of the things that I do before I jump, you know, the silence and solitude, it's like, you kind of, it's like how do you get going? Um, here's a really great exercise that I do. Um, my counselor told me about this breathing exercise and I've started doing it. And this kind of this puts me into a state where I can experience silence and solitude. I do this breathing exercise. It's called box breathing. Shout out to my counselor. You breathe in for four seconds. I can't model it for you because it's impossible while I, while I talk. Um, but You breathe in for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, you hold that for four seconds, and you do it again. Four cycles through, I've gotten to the point where I'll I'll, I'll do this for two or three minutes. And by by the end of it, by the end of it, not only are you maybe in the most peaceful state you will be all day, it allows you into the space where you can begin to be still. You enter into this space where it's just you, God, and you're breathing. And you're left with this sobering reminder of your humanity. And in a way I can't explain, in these moments, you're left with nothing and no other option other than to trust God. Can't explain it. It's in these moments when you're able to confront what's really going on in your mind and in your heart and invite God in and give your soul space to listen. And when I say silence, that also includes you talking. Oftentimes my moments of silence and solitude will become moments of prayer, but there's an art to this where you also don't talk. And and I'm just telling you, it will help you become a better listener It will help you become a better elicitor in your relationships and in your day-to-day. I'm just telling you, the practice of not talking and research will tell you again, these moments will reduce stress and anxiety in your day. And I have just found whenever I find space to practice this, I'm just telling you, even if it means getting up 15 minutes earlier than you usually do, it's worth it. I have found that how I enter into each day is dramatically different. The way I engage with my kids is dramatically different. The way my interactions with people go for the rest of my day, I can't explain it. I'm just telling you, it is different. I am more of a person of peace, joy, and love. It's no wonder Jesus did this over and over and over.
Silence. In solitude, try it. Let's all box breathe together. It's awesome, okay? Number two, number two, Sabbath, okay? Now, this is an idea that um, isn't, we don't talk about it a lot in in Western Christianity, okay? But this is is something I've been experimenting with, with me and my family for about the past year, maybe year, year and a half, okay? This is so this is so awesome. I've been so excited to talk to our church about Sabbath, okay? Um, and again, I'm just doing, this is a whole series, so one day, <clears throat> we're just doing an on-the-surface thing. The word Sabbath, it, literally, it comes from a Hebrew word meaning to stop, literally to stop. John Mark Comer observed that it also has another meaning, and it can mean to delight. So what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a 24-hour period to stop and to delight and enjoy. It's a 24-hour period to stop working, to stop striving, to stop earning, to stop running, and to rest. And to enjoy God as a form of worship and to delight in the things that give you life, the things that you enjoy. So here's what this is literally what this looks like. It's you literally picking a day. And you probably should pick a day where you're not working. Don't not work and get fired in Jesus' name. I can't support that. Not called accountable. That's not on me. This is not like a doctor's note situation. Okay, so, but you literally pick a day. And, and for a lot of people, Sunday's a great day to do it because you've already kind of got worship built in. It's awesome. For me, me and my weekends, for me and my family, Friday and Saturday is our weekend. Um, and so Friday's kind of the day we do this because my kids aren't in school all five days of the week yet. So Friday's a great day for us to do this. So this is, we, we are practicing this. We are not perfect at this. I just want to give you a little bit of insight into what this looks like for us. And depending on your season and what you enjoy, it's going to look dramatically different. But for us, okay, it's a day where there's no work, no appointments, not anything that we have to get done. And it's an opportunity for us to enjoy God, remember his goodness and enjoy our family and make memories with our kids. So it starts, I, I love waking up early and I'll get my coffee going and I'll read a book that's kind of fun and engaging. I've wanted to jump into. Then the girls get up and I'll let them do whatever they want to do because it's Sabbath. All right, you want to do a craft? Let's go. I'm a craft dad, y'all. I bought a wireless hot glue gun, okay? I love crafts. <laughs> Um, maybe like if they want to watch a show, watch it. You want to watch Bluey? It's Sabbath, baby. Let's watch Bluey. Whatever you want to do. I'll eventually get Julie her coffee and then she'll come down. Sometimes we'll make a breakfast together, pancakes or bacon. Sometimes we'll go to IHOP or Waffle House because what up? It's, 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 it's Sabbath. Okay. Um, a Sabbath staple for us has been donuts. So we'll, we'll go get Dunkin' Donuts. Y'all, I'll take them in their pajamas. Whenever they're wearing footy pajamas, I'll put shoes on right over the footy and we'll go straight into Dunkin', okay? <laughs> Whatever you want. They don't like to drive through. They like to pick them out, even though they pick out the same ones every single time. <laughs> Nevertheless, Harper's like, the drive through slow. I'm like, no, it's not. You're just convinced yourself that that's true, but Whatever. So we'll, we'll go in, we'll get, we'll get donuts. And then that day, we'll, you know, we'll, maybe we'll hit a playground. Maybe we'll hit a coffee shop on the way to the playground. Sometimes we'll do something crazy. We, this past week, we did the fern bank. It was so fun. We packed lunches, we went down. Maybe it's the aquarium. Then we'll always get home for afternoon downtime. And our youngest takes a nap. The other two, I'm like, y'all wanna watch a movie with popcorn? Let's watch a movie with popcorn in the middle of the day because it is Sabbath, okay? So we'll take a rest. I'll take a nap or read a book. Julia will get some time. Um, then we do dinner as a family. We'll get out into the backyard and play on the playset. My favorite, my favorite is when they're on the playset. I don't get out there and I'll cut my grass barefoot and it is awesome. You're like, you said no work. That's not work. That gives me so much life. And I do it barefoot because my grass feels like carpet, baby. I love it. (laughs) 
In the wintertime, we'll do stuff around the fire. We'll do stuff. Again, here's the point. Here's, this looks different for everybody, but here's the point. It's no pressure to be productive, to work, to jump to emails, to get to that appointment, to be something for somebody else, to do something that we have to do, but to create space. And we're not perfect, but we're trying we're trying to teach our kids this. Yesterday, this past week, literally, we're pulling out of the driveway and Harper was like, I love the Sabbath. I'm like, yes, you do. We're just trying. We don't get it right every time. Ask me every week and I'll tell you how it went. But here's what will, if you try this, I'm just telling you, here's what's gonna happen about halfway through. This happens to me regularly. I'll start to feel guilty about halfway through the day that I'm not being productive enough, that, that, I'm, that I'm not doing enough, that I, um, this is, I'm just being lazy. I should do something. And I have to actively remind myself, nope, I am doing something for my soul, for my family, for my faith. Today, I've set aside to rest. Today, I've set aside to worship God and to remember the gifts that he's given me and to enjoy him and all that he's brought into my life. I'm just telling you, it'll transform your week and it'll give you something to look forward to every week. And depending on your season, the things that you do might look different and that's okay. So Sabbath. Then the last one, last one, fasting. I know you've all been dying to get to this one. You cannot wait to talk about it, okay? But look, fasting. Now, I know you can do like different fasts, social media fasts and whatever. This is specifically from food, okay? Now, let me be honest with y'all, I always am. I almost didn't include this one. In fact, in the first version of my outline for this sermon, um, it did not have it in there because I didn't want to be a hypocrite, okay? Um, I didn't want to get up here and talk to you guys about something that I have not regularly practiced in my life. I didn't want to teach y'all something that isn't a part of my regular rhythm or something that I'm trying. But in preparation for this series and this sermon, there's a couple books that I've read in the the months leading up. And um, there was, uh, I read a couple chapters on fasting, And I became so inspired by the idea that I just thought, nah, I'm gonna try it. And I've got to tell our church about this. I wanna teach about this. So here's what I did this past week. I fasted, not the whole week, just today. And you're not supposed to talk about it, okay? I'm not telling you this to be impressed. I'm actually telling you this so you would be unimpressed because I don't remember the last time I did fast, okay? So as I'm telling you to pick one, I'm here to tell you I'm picking one as well, that I'm a beginner too, and this is one that I am picking. And for a second, I just wanna tell you guys the ideas of it that so inspired me and why I wanna begin to implement this into the rhythm of my life. The idea of fasting, it's been practiced for centuries and not even just by Christians. Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, they're documented of practicing fasting. In fact, you probably know this research today tells us that there's a lot of health benefits to fasting. Some of you might even do intermittent fasting, okay? Um, But there are benefits far beyond just the physical. There's also benefits spiritually. And here are kind of two big ideas that just inspired me about that. I, I, I want to implement this. I want to practice this discipline. That fasting is a discipline where you literally deny yourself, okay? And so when you're fasting from a meal or from food, you are denying your physical appetite for hunger. Here's what's true for all of humans. We all have appetites. Yes, for food, but you've also got an appetite for control. 
You've got an appetite for approval. You've got an appetite for sex. You've got an appetite for glory. You've got an appetite for notoriety. You've got an appetite for pleasure. You've got an appetite for stuff. You've got an appetite for power. We've got appetites for everything. And in fasting from food, what you are developing is the self-control to say no to your appetite that wants to eat. But here's what you're simultaneously doing. The point isn't food. More than any other discipline, fasting literally forces us to control appetites that too often control us. And being controlled by your appetite does not lead to life. There are appetites in your life and in mine that things that you know you shouldn't do, things that you know you shouldn't give into, and they don't lead to life. They lead to death. They lead to pain. They lead to regret. It's what Paul calls a life governed by the flesh rather than a life governed by the spirit. It's not the way of love and it's not the way of life. Come on, every single one of us could use a little bit more self-control, to develop more self-control, to say no to the parts of us that you know you need to say no to, to say no to the desires in us that you know this are not loving, are not life-giving. And I thought, man, I want to develop more of that in my life. And then the second thing, fasting is the great revealer of what's lying just beneath the surface. I love what Richard Foster, he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, I can't encourage you enough to read it. This is what he writes about this idea. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, and fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Anybody? Okay. Um, Then, then we will realize we are angry because we're hungry, but because the spirit of anger is actually within us. And then he writes, and we can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. That we can begin to surface the things in us that are not life-giving, loving, peaceful, or of the way of Jesus. Fasting will begin to surface those things. And as you practice this discipline, it creates room for God to work in your life. So how do you start? How do you, how do you start fasting? Okay, again, really, really practical. This is, how, this is what I did. Richard Foster suggested, if, if you've never fasted before, do a 24-hour fast, lunch to lunch. So you only skip two meals, dinner that night and breakfast the next morning. Water, but he said, if it's your first time, include like some kind of fresh fruit juice and have that supplement with your water. And then he says, hey, after you've practiced that to some regularity, you can maybe upgrade to a 36-hour where you do a whole day, all three Meals. And if this is something that you want to, and you're interested in like practicing, again, I'm, I'm being honest about, I want to implement this. Some kind of rhythm is helpful, weekly or monthly. But the, the point is to practice, unlike anything else, saying no to you, it forces you to do it. And let me just say this. I'm not going to act like I, I made all these realizations the, the one time that I've done it, okay, recently. But I can tell you this. Here's what I did realize. I was talking to my wife about this. In my, in, my, in my fast, I was more aware of God throughout the day than I normally found myself to be. My awareness of my heavenly father shot through the roof because every time I got hungry, I remembered why I was doing it. Every time I got hungry, I would kind of take a moment and I'd say a little prayer. I, I did this multiple times. I, and and I'm, I know, pastor, you should pray all the time. I, I don't pray all the time throughout the entire day, okay? But I'm telling you, 
Whenever I'd get hungry, I would say a little prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray you would use this to develop in me the self-control to make me and help me live and love more like Jesus. I must have said that prayer five or six times throughout the day. So that's the three disciplines of abstinence. There's some of them. There's six of them. There's so many more. And there's so much more to say about them. But this is a starting point. And more than a science, this is an art. I just, I just want you to pick one. Just try it. Experiment with it. Give God a chance to meet you where you are. Try it in different ways that works with your personality. Invite other people in on it to do it with you. Stack some of them together. If you're taking 15 minutes to, to, to pray, tack on five minutes to read the Bible, right? If you're fasting, tack on, pray. Figure out a way to stack some of them together. In fact, habit experts would tell you habit stacking is a really good idea. But just pick one. And come on, commit to practice it consistently. And I'm just telling you, anything that feels like a duty, it's gonna become delight. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, who you will become on the other side of these practices will surprise you. Come on, there, there's track record of centuries of these being practiced by the church. Right? Heroes of the faith. And don't ever forget why. It's to make you look more like Jesus. To experience more peace and joy. To become a person of love. The spiritual disciplines make room. To experience more of God's transforming power in our lives. So let's make room. Let's do our part and trust that God's gonna meet us to do his. I'm right there with you. I've got my plan to make room. I want you to do the same. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thanks that you care about our life. Thanks that you're interested in our life. Thank you that you wanna meet us right where we are. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to step out and do something we haven't tried before. Make room for you to transform us in a way that we haven't before. And I pray, Lord, that as we do, you would meet us right where we are. And for all of us, you'd begin to transform us to look a little bit more like Jesus today. And for every day following, than we looked the day before. We believe that you are faithful to do it. So we're going to make room. We're going to make room. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.